Well, good morning. It's so good to see everyone this morning. How's everybody doing today? Great. You look really good. I like that. And the man, the way you were singing on Silent Night was just awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary on, in, in Tulsa. I'm with First Baptist Owasso. We all are. And it's just such a great privilege for us to be together. And uh, today we get to do something special. As soon as the service is over, we've got packages for about 75 uh, kids and teenagers uh, down in the Fellowship Hall. And so if you're here for that today, we're so thankful that you're here with us. And we're, uh, it's just a privilege that we we have the opportunity to serve one another and to be together and worship, and so I'm grateful for you and, and for you being here today. I don't know if you noticed, but I, I chose to wear my most subdued, most subtle jacket today. What do you think? You like it? Is this good? Yeah. Thanks. That's good. And I noticed some of y'all are wearing your Christmas sweaters and your Christmas outfits. That's really nice. Some of you are wearing black to match my heart, and that's good. I like that. That's nice. I saw, I saw Christmas lights on a sweater back here, and so that's really good. Could we do this real quick? This would be just kind of a fun thing to do. Since it's the Sunday before Christmas and we're all kind of dressed up in some sort of Christmas outfit, could we just take a Christmas selfie together as a church? Would that be all right? I'll tell you what. Let's all stand up and just kind of... As comfortable as you are, social distancing and all that stuff, if you want to move together, that's okay. If you don't want to move together, that's fine too. We're just going to take a quick Christmas selfie is what we'll do. And, uh, and, and if while you're doing that, when we get done with the selfie, if you want to tell the person near you what your favorite Christmas tradition is, that would be great. So here we go. We're going to take a quick Christmas selfie. See if you, can, if you can't see the camera, it can't see you. So let's do that. I'm going to bring it down so you can see. There we go. I'm going to step up here. This is, you guys look really good today. There we go. There we go. Just like that. That looks great. And everybody say, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, that's wonderful. He took several of those. That's really, really good. Very good. Thank you so much. Hey, on your way back to your seat, tell someone what your favorite Christmas tradition is. What your favorite Christmas tradition is. If you would do that, that'd be... That'd be great. I'm going to take my jacket off so that it's not louder than my sermon because uh, I didn't, didn't want to do that and take my jacket off so it's not quite as loud as my sermon. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. And I love Christmas. I just love everything about Christmas. And it's so much fun to be able to be with family and friends. And it's so much fun to celebrate our Savior and to just talk about the grace of God that was given to us through His Son and how He came at Christmas and how He entered this world. Um, of all the places and of all the ways He could have possibly chosen to save the world, He chose to show up and do it Himself. Now think about that in light of all the powerful people you know in the world. <laughs> think about that in light of the rich and the powerful. How frequently do the rich and the powerful show up to fix a problem for you? How often does that happen? Now just think with me for a minute that the Savior of the universe, that God himself, the creator of, of everything, the most powerful, the one who has everything, when he saw your life and mine, when he saw your world and the brokenness that's in it. And when I say your world, I don't mean the random brokenness of everybody else. I mean, when he saw your world, when he saw your life and the brokenness that's in it, instead of sending someone else, instead of saying, hey, take care of that on your own, God himself showed up as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I think that's 
the miracle of Christmas. It's just miraculous. It's just glorious. And that's what we're going to talk about today in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You're not going to think of this as a typical Christmas passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, but it really does have a lot to say about who Jesus is in light of who we are and really what we should do as a result of what it is that Jesus has done for us. And so one of the things that we like to do in order to honor the reading of, the God's, of God's Word as we're in worship together is we like to stand to honor His Word. So if you would stand with me while you take a look at 1 John chapter 1. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, you can see it on your phone. It's there on your app and there's a QR code on the chair in front of you that you could click, and it would take you to sermon notes for today, or you'll be able to see it right up here on the screen. But 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 say this. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that, uh, so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. What an incredible passage of scripture this is. It talks about the light of Christ and the light of the world. It talks about the word of life. It talks about this idea that the person who's writing this, the person who's writing this is the apostle John. This is the the same John who wrote the gospel of John. This is the same John who was friends with Jesus. When the Bible talks about the disciple that Jesus loved, this is the John that's that's being talked about. This is the John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Um, On the night that Jesus was betrayed, on that night when Jesus was betrayed, one of the things that happened was Peter denied Christ. And, and then there was this moment when the crowds were coming after Christ and John got captured and he ran away. And the Bible says he ran away naked. He ran away because he left his cloak behind. He, just, he, was ran, he ran so fast. So this is the John who, on the night Jesus was betrayed, was, was one of the betrayers. He didn't stand up for Jesus. He stood by and let the crucifixion take place. This is the same John that later, when Jesus rose from the dead was one of the eyewitnesses. He was one of the eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And so while Jesus was alive, John was this man who was following John the Baptist, and at the point that Jesus is baptized, John becomes one of the disciples of Christ. He was there when when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Could you imagine being a part of that? He saw it. He was an eyewitness to the miracles of God. When Jesus fed the 5,000, He was the one, he was one of the ones who passed out the food. He was one of the ones who collected the baskets. And you remember how many baskets were left over? Does anybody remember? There were 12 baskets left over. I find that so funny because there were 12 disciples, right? So 12 baskets of food left over. What do you think they did with those 12 baskets with those 12 disciples? John ate the food that that Jesus miraculously provided. Here he is. He's an eyewitness, not to the end of the world. (laughs) 
feels like we're kind of eyewitnesses to the end of the world right now, doesn't it? I mean, isn't tomorrow night, the 21st, the Christmas star is supposed to reappear? It's Saturn and Jupiter coming into alignment. I think that's what those two planets are. And going to be a nice, bright sh- uh, show in the, in the skies for us. And people are saying, it's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. They're saying all of those wonderful things. We're not right now the witnesses of the end of the world. But John was the witness of the beginning of eternity for you and me. He was an eyewitness. And that's what he says right here at the very beginning of it. It's one of the things that I think is awesome. It's 1 John verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Look at what that one verse says. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, there's a reason why I picked that particular verse uh, to focus in on, and it's because of the word manifest. The word manifest in the Greek is phanerou. Phanerou, that's a fun word to say. Phanerou, say that with me. Phanerou. Yeah, isn't that a fun word to say? Phanerou. Say it with me one more time. Phanerou. Yeah, it's a great word, and it literally means something very simple. It means open public display. That's what phanerou means. It means something, when something is manifest, and it uses the word phanerou, it means it's on open public display. How many sports fans do I have in the room today? Anybody sports fans? How many of you would just recognize the fact that OU once again won the Big 12 championship? Did you notice that yesterday? Anybody notice that? Yeah, we've got a couple of boomers out there. That's good. I like that. Not okay boomer, a different kind of boomer. So we've got that going. That's good. How many of you are, are pop culture fans? There's, a, there's an episode of, of, of a show that I like to watch called The Mandalorian that's out. Any of you notice that? Anybody happen to see Mandalorian? Uh, less people uh, noticed that than they noticed OU, but that's okay. They still saw that. Um, again, for a pop culture geek fandom, on December 25th, there's a movie coming out. It's Wonder Woman 1984. Did you all hear about that? Anybody hear about that? All of those things. Oh, wait, wait, there's one more. Um, I don't, did you notice there's people who are starting to take um, a vaccine? Have you heard about that? Anybody? I don't know if you know this. There's a disease or a sickness that's running around. Have you, have you heard that? Maybe some arguments over who's supposed to be president and some craziness there and all that stuff. Have you heard anything about that? Open public display, Right? The life was made manifest. It was put on open public display. And here's what John says. We have seen it. And we testify to it. And we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made, well, it was put on open public display with us. And that's the first thing I want us to to just realize today. That the love of Jesus is on open public display. Have you seen it? Have you? Well, that's what the passage says. John says, I heard it. I saw it with my eyes. I've looked upon it, meaning I've investigated it. I've experienced it. I've touched, I've touched it. I've experienced it. Jesus and his love for you, his life for you, his message for you, his salvation for you, it is on open public display, not just for religious people to see. Not just for the people in this room to see. Not just for people who claim the name of Christ to see. But he's placed his love on open public display for the world to see and for the world to investigate. Now there's a parallel 
in the way John writes. In 1 John 1, he says, I've investigated all of these things about who I believe Jesus is. But back in the Gospel of John, John says something really interesting. If you want to, you can turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we'll read the first four verses that are there as well. If you don't have it in your Bible there, or if you don't have it in your, in, in your, uh, in your app, you can go ahead and just see it up on the screen. But look at what John 1, the Gospel of John 1, 1 says. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now watch this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. How's your life right now? How's your life right now? In your life, have you experienced the light of Christ? Do you feel like you can walk with certainty and with surety? Do you feel like you can walk with faithfulness? Do you feel like you can walk with confidence that God is for you, that God is with you, and that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think? Does that mean we get everything we want? No, that's not what that means. What good parent is going to give their child every possible thing they ever asked for? I've asked for my parents, from my parents, I've asked for some pretty stupid things. Uh, have you ever done that? I've asked for Christmas. I've asked for some pretty stupid want. I used to want a wall-sized fish tank so that I could raise my own catfish, right? I wanted that in my bedroom. And I thought, what a cool thing that would be to have my own fish tank filled with catfish. I'm a Star Wars fan. It's why I was jazzed about the Mandalorian. I used to want a lightsaber. This is a knife that can cut through anything. Can you imagine giving any kind of a knife to an eight-year-old? <laughs> um, particularly one that can cut through anything, right? I'm, I'm so glad that there are some things that my parents just refused to give me, right? And so... Jesus, God being for you, God being with you, God desiring for you to have exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think, that doesn't mean we get everything we want. It simply means he is our heavenly father who loves us and who gave himself for us. And like any good heavenly father, he's going to give us precisely what we need when we need it. How'd Paul say it? Paul said, I've learned to be rich and I've learned to be poor. And whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because my goal isn't to be rich, and my goal isn't to be poor. My goal isn't to be popular, powerful, or mighty. My goal is to be faithful. My goal is to follow God. And look at this. In, in John chapter 1, he says that the life was the light of men. How's your life right now? It describes Jesus both in 1 John and in the Gospel of John. John himself says Jesus is the word of life. This word of God that we look at right now is the revelation of who he is to us. Now, here's some things about this that I find interesting. Again, I want to go back to the very beginning of that passage, 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, we've heard it, we've seen it with our eyes, we've looked upon it, meaning we've investigated it, we've touched it with our hands concerning this Word of life, the life that was the light of men. Here's some things that I hope you'll understand. And maybe you're not very familiar with who Jesus is. 
Or maybe you think Jesus is that religious dude that's for everyone else. But I want to tell you that Jesus isn't just a story. You know, when it comes to Christmas, there's a lot of good stories out there. I love the movie Elf. I think it's a hilarious movie. But you know, that's not real. Shh, don't tell anybody. But Buddy the Elf is not real, right? You know that. And, and there's some other great Christmas stories out there. Hallmark, like in November, begins playing 24 hours a day, these stories that it seems like it's the same story over and over again with interchangeable people. You know, the guy or the girl, they move off to the country and then they meet each other and they fall in love and then they don't like each other for a little while and they get back together. Did I just spoil it for you? I'm sorry. I try to avoid spoilers. Those are great stories, right? They're, they're heartwarming. They're Norman Rockwell kinds of stories, but they're not. They're fiction, right? They're fiction. You know what John is saying in 1 John? This is no fiction. What Jesus has done for me, John is saying this. I'm saying this. There are people in this room all around you, if you don't believe this, that would also say this. What Jesus has done for me is no fiction. It's real. And you know how I know it's real? You know how I know his story is true? Well, because I've heard it, and I've seen it, and I've investigated it, and I've experienced it. Isn't that what he says right there in the first verse? He says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked into and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John says all these things are real, and, and it's, not, it's not any kind of fiction. Jesus is the word of life. Now, here's how I know that it's true. I know that it's true because of my own investigation, because of my own experience. But beyond that, there's so many other things. Jesus was predicted in prophecy. When you look back at the Old Testament, there's about 300. There's actually more than 300 prophecies about who the Messiah will be, about who Savior will be. And with each one of those prophecies, Jesus perfectly fit every one. The statistical probability that any one person on the planet would meet every prophecy as spoken of in the Old Testament is astronomical, but Jesus met every one of those 300 prophecies. Now, my dad uh, had an interesting experience. His name was Charles Edward Balthrop. And one of the things that was true about my dad is in Oklahoma, well, first off, our family's small, so there's not a whole lot of us Balthrops, but he lived on the south side of Oklahoma City, and on the north side of Oklahoma City, there was another man who was named Charles Edward Balthrop. <laughs> I've never met him, and we're not related. Our families are totally unrelated. He just happens to share the name with my dad, Charles Edward Balthrop. So there were these moments when my dad would get frustrated because my dad's credit was always really good. He said, I don't really know how to manage money, but I do know how to manage debt. <laughs> and because he was managing debt well, his credit was really good. And so he did that, he did that, and he played that game really well. But the other Charles Edward Balthrop in Oklahoma City wasn't good at managing debt. He was always behind on his payments. His credit score was terrible. And there were times when the credit companies and the banks would get one set of bills mixed up with another set of bills. And my dad would have to kind of work that out. So how is it that those credit card companies and how is it that those bill collectors, how is it that they could identify which Charles Edward Balthrop was exactly the right Charles Edward Balthrop? Well, you know how that would work. You know how that works. It's, it's not that complicated. One Charles Edward Balthrop has an address on the south side. And another Charles Edward Balthrop has an address on the north side. One has this phone number. One has that phone number. From a government perspective, one has this social security number. One has 
that social security number. One has this family, one has that family. Um, even if you were to, now we never needed to do this, that would have been a little crazy if we had, but if you had done a draw of blood and taken a test, you would have found that one had one set of DNA and another had another set of DNA. So what you see is with each piece of information, well, they've got the same name, Charles, that's the same, Edward, that's the same, Balthrop, that's the same, maybe it's just one guy. Nope, there's another piece of information. What's his address? And then there's another piece of information. What's his phone number? And there's another piece of information. Who's his extended family? And then there's another piece of information. And another, and another, until you get down to this very fine point that there is only one Charles Edward Balthrop who was my dad. You see, that's when we say that the life of Jesus, that the love of Jesus is on open public display. And when we say he was predicted in prophecy, and when I say there are 300, more than 300 individual, individual prophecies about who the Messiah would be, with each one of those individual prophecies, the picture of who this could possibly be gets narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower until the only conclusion that any rational, science-believing person could come to is that the Messiah has to be that one person, Jesus Christ. To believe anything else isn't rational. It's as crazy as believing that my dad, because that other guy was named Charles Edward Balthrop, that that must be my dad. It's as crazy as believing that. Prophecy predicts it. Now, in your notes, uh, the notes that are online on the app, there's a website uh, to Josh McDowell's website, and there's some more study you can do if you're interested in knowing more about that. If you don't want to take my word for it, that's great. There's a lot of people out there who are way smarter than I am. Take their word for it, or at least do your own investigation and your own study. Isn't that what John did? He heard it, he saw it, he investigated it, and he experienced it. Go to that website from Josh McDowell and investigate it for yourself. Take time to find those 300 prophecies and see how they correlate and how they relate to Jesus Christ because Jesus is the one who fulfills them all. Jesus was predicted in prophecy. Beyond that, he was experienced by eyewitnesses. Now, that's the other thing. I've already established that John, the apostle John, saw Jesus for who he was, but he wasn't alone. We talk about the 12 disciples a lot, right? Peter, James, and John, and then there's nine more guys who experienced Jesus. But there's another website in that list of notes that you have there, not from Josh McDowell, but from his son, Sean McDowell. Uh, people who study Scripture, people who are the scientists who look into the authenticity of Scripture, have done some study, and they conservatively estimate that there's about 60,000 people over the course of Christ's life who were eyewitnesses to the testimony of who he is. 60,000 eyewitnesses. How many eyewitnesses is it going to take for you to believe that he is who he said he is, that he can do what he said he can do? There were eyewitnesses that experienced who he was. And here's the thing that I find fascinating about all of these eyewitness accounts. Do you realize that there is no single individual in the history of the world that has been studied more thoroughly in history, in archaeology, in theology, and in every possible way, there's no individual in the history of the world that has been studied with greater thoroughness than Jesus Christ. And the evidence points to the idea that he is who he said he is. And he did what he said he could do. That's where all the evidence points from those who are eyewitnesses.
It's one of those crazy things that there's, a, there's an old book by Homer. It's called The Odyssey. And then Virgil wrote the Iliad. Those are classics. If you grew up in, in a school where they made you read literature like that, the, Hom- uh, the Homeric Odyssey and, the, and Virgil's Iliad, there's more evidence to prove that what we have written in Scripture is accurate than there is to prove that what was written in Homer's Odyssey and Iliad is accurate to the story. There's more evidence to prove the, histor- the historic reality of Jesus Christ and what he did than there is the existence of William Shakespeare. Think about that. The words we have written in Scripture have been so thoroughly studied and so thoroughly investigated, not just by people who believe it, but by people who don't, that we have more accurate Scripture texts than we have an accurate copy of Hamlet written by William Shakespeare. Why? Well, because for those of us who are believers we have this incredible value that we want to study the word of life. And so men and women like me and and like the people of our church have been studying this Jesus for generations, for 2,000 years. People have been studying, is this man who he says he is? Did he do what he said he could do? And now what am I supposed to do? It Faithful followers of Christ who have looked into it, who have heard it, who have seen it, who have experienced it, they've investigated whether or not these historic claims about who Jesus is are true. And with, at, at every turn, we've found them to be true. But it's not just people who believe. It's not just the religious faithful that have looked into it. There are people who are irreligious. There are people who are atheistic. There are people who look into it and go, I'm going to look into this because I want to disprove it. You know, one of the heroes of my faith is a man named C.S. Lewis. And it's interesting to call him a hero of my faith because he didn't come to faith because he just believed. He actually began investigating the life of Christ because he didn't believe. And he thought, I'm an academic. I can prove this guy wrong. I can prove that this isn't real and that this isn't true. And the further he studied and the deeper he got into it, the more he heard it, the more he saw it, the more he handled it himself, the more he came to realize this Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's got to be the Lord of my life. And, and with his scientific study, he went, nope, he can't be a liar. Eliminated that off his list. Lunatic? Well, maybe. No. Look at all the eyewitnesses. Look at all the prophecies. Look at the effect in history. Nope, can't possibly be that. He needs to be the Lord of my life. That's the conclusion C.S. Lewis came to. What about you? Have you... Have you investigated it or have you just taken the word of somebody like me for it? Have you let someone who's really, because you know, there's days. I have good days and bad days just like you. There's days when I represent him really well. And then there's days where if you look at my life, you're not going to want any of Jesus because I don't look very much like him. Have you let someone in the church try to speak for Jesus and now you've got a bad taste in your mouth for who he is? Don't do that. Like I said, I have good days and I have bad days. Some days I get it right. And some days, I'm a terrible example of who Jesus is. Don't take my word for it. I'm confident enough in the reality of who Jesus is that if you investigate the prophecies and if you study those people who are eyewitnesses of his life, that you're going to come to a place where you believe that everything he said he could do, he did. That he is the sinless, perfect, spotless Lamb of God who died for your sins and mine, who made a way for your salvation and for mine. 
And so he was predicted in prophecy. He was experienced by eyewitnesses, but he was also proclaimed. He's being proclaimed right now, today, but he's being proclaimed by people who would rather die than dishonor him. Do you realize that all of the 12 disciples died a martyr's death? You might think to yourself, well, these guys, they started a religious movement, and now they're just in it for the money. I could, I could be cynical like that, and I could see that, but cynical people don't die for the cynical thing that they're just trying to make money for, right? Cynical people don't get crucified upside down. That's the way Peter died. Cynical people like James, he died on a sword. Somebody stabbed him with a sword. People don't do that just for money, right? Not to defend some crazy myth that they're trying to propagate so they can make a living and a nice life for themselves. People don't do that. The apostle John, he died in exile on the island of Patmos. He wasted away without anybody around. And the reason why he did that was because, well, because of his faith. And he's not the only one. For generations, there are men and women who have said, I would rather die than dishonor God. I would rather die than speak something that's not true about Jesus Christ. And here's what I know to be true. Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And because of that sacrifice he made for my sins, I'm forgiven and you can be too. And I'd rather die than dishonor that message. And I am not alone. There are generations of people who are faithful. There are generations of people who have at times gotten it tremendously right. And at other times they've stumbled and fallen. But in the middle of all of it, there's Jesus who's forgiving. And there's Jesus who's guiding. And there's this word of life who is bringing light to his people and light to your life. And so... The love of Jesus is on open public display for you and me to see. Here's the last thing I want us to see today. It's actually 1 John 1, 3. It says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. And more specifically, it says we proclaim it to you. And at the very end of of verse 4, it says, and we're writing these things. We're proclaiming these things so that our joy may be complete. So one of the reasons why we preach this, one of the reasons that that Christmas is so glorious, we, we sing the song, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. And what it says right there in verses three and four is something very simple. It says, Jesus brings inexhaustible joy to those who know and proclaim him. And so maybe you walked into this room and you walked in without much life. Well, Jesus is the word of life. And in verse 4, as we proclaim Jesus, the word of life, he brings light into our life. And as he brings that light into our life, it becomes the inexhaustible joy that he gives to those who know him and proclaim him. It's such a beautiful thing that God has done for us that we could know the heavenly father, the creator of the universe, and that we could know him through his son because you know your life. You know how broken it is. I know my life. And as good as I try to be, I fail so frequently. I disappoint people. I put my foot in my mouth and I say things that I shouldn't. I have a hard time being wrong. You know what I mean? 
I like to be right, and I like to win arguments. Even if it means I have to step on somebody to do it, I like that. And it's just the brokenness that is me. And in the middle of all of that, the joy goes away, and the life diminishes until, until Jesus shows up and shines his light into my life, until he proclaims his word to me and shows me that I don't have to live by the world's rules anymore because Jesus died for all those broken things in my life. He lived for all those broken things in my life and he gave himself up as a sacrifice on the cross at Calvary. It was predicted in prophecy. It was witnessed by eyewitnesses. It's being proclaimed to you today. And here's one of the remarkable things. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 20, it says this. It says, for he, who's he? Well, it's us. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. God today, for you, regardless of the condition of your life, has the opportunity to bring joy into your heart. Joy is the unwavering delight of a confident faith. Joy is not determined by my current condition, but in my earnest expectation and hope that this condition will turn out for my salvation through Jesus Christ on this side of eternity or the next. So how's your life and how's your joy? Have you told anybody about Jesus lately? That's what John's saying. I'm telling you about Jesus because it's going to make my joy complete. So if you're lost, you need Jesus to save. And if you're saved, you need to talk about Jesus. You need to tell someone about Jesus because that's what makes your joy complete. And so let's just bring it all the way back to the very beginning. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Have you heard it today? Have you seen it? Have you investigated what this little child in a manger really came to do for you? Have you experienced it? I guess the way to say it is really simple. It's to ask this question. Have you come to grips with who Jesus is and what it is He's done for you. Let me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a few moments. You know, we do that. We, we bow our heads and close our eyes so that we can just take a moment that's personal and respond to what it is that God said to us today. Because through this, my hope and prayer has been that God has spoken to your heart. And maybe this is the beginning of your investigation. And like I said, don't take my word for it. I hope you'll investigate it and you'll come to grips with who Jesus is. But I hope today that you'll recognize that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He did what he said he can do. And if you simply place your faith in him, he will forgive your sin and, and make, make your way with God right. He will be the word of life in your life. He, will, he can bring inexhaustible joy to who you are. He can make your joy complete. He can shine his light into every possible decision you have to make. The question is whether you'll go your own way or whether you'll surrender to his. And so after I pray this morning, we're going to sing a song. And 
during that time, my hope is that you'll just spend some time responding to God. Maybe it's, God, I need to investigate you more. I'd like to know more. Put somebody in my life that can help me understand who you are. Maybe you just simply need to surrender and say, Father, I give my life to you today. Forgive me. I know I'm broken. Please forgive me. Please put together these broken pieces. Make a, give me a right relationship with you and a right relationship with others. Father, would you do that for me through your son Jesus today? Maybe you need to pray something like that as we sing. Maybe if you're already a follower of Christ, what you need to do is just ask God, God, who should I tell next? God, have I done the investigation I need to do? Have I experienced what I need to experience with you in this moment? How can I draw closer to you today than I was yesterday and tomorrow? How can I draw even closer to you tomorrow than I am today? How will you respond to the word of life? Will you come to grips with who Jesus is? This baby who came in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, as an amazing gift from God to you. Father, I do pray today that we would come to grips with who you are, that we would hear your word, that we would see your grace, that we would investigate the depth of the riches of your love and your mercy for us, and that we would experience the new life that you've given to us in Christ, and that we would be the people who would share that new life with others. Father, as we do that, would you let our joy be complete, and would you allow us the privilege of surrendering and obeying and following you intimately and closely every day. We love you, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name.